I was a lot more quiet. I was more, um, and because I'm deaf and not a lot of people talk to me, that was really difficult. So my ADHD kind of went more, it became quiet, but it just was all in, all in my brain, my head. You're listening to Refocus Together, and this is episode 12, Julian Henderson and the intersection of deafness and ADHD. Welcome back to Refocus, a podcast all about ADHD. I'm your host, Lindsay Gensel. When we share stories, we find the perspective, ideas, and tips that help us live our best lives. That's what makes me so excited about Refocus Together, our series for ADHD Awareness Month, where we're interviewing 31 different people throughout the month of October. Because while we may be different, we are all united by our own ADHD journeys. Julian Henderson's ADHD diagnosis was a long time coming. He's always wondered if he had it. Growing up as the only deaf person in a hearing family, It was imperative that he develop workarounds, things like reading lips and interrupting people to grab their attention. Julian was constantly interpreting his life, as his first language was American Sign Language, and it was easy for him to get caught up in all of the things his busy brain had to do in order to keep up. He always had to be on, and that's a lot of executive functioning required for a young kid to just exist in the world. In school, Julian struggled with things like turning homework in on time and being tardy. In third grade, a psychologist assessed him and concluded that he was simply a hyperactive and distracted kid. After high school, he went to college. For five years, he struggled to keep up and even failed a few classes. Then Julian sought help from his doctor, who referred him to a psychologist who diagnosed him with ADHD. Julian has been learning how not to let his ADHD control him ever since. Not one to waste the day, he works as a paraprofessional at Ohio School for the Deaf, has acted in two short films, and found a subject he truly enjoys, information technology, and hopes one day for it to become his career. Let's connect with Julian about his life with ADHD, how diagnosis can be a great relief and challenge, and his hopes for becoming more involved and finding his place in the ADHD community. What's great about these interviews, Julian, is that we ask everyone the same questions, and they start with, when were you diagnosed, and what was your diagnosis like? My diagnosis was about three years ago, right around when COVID was starting to get crazy. And uh, how was it like? It was, I guess to me, it was a long time coming because I was struggling because it was during college. I was uh, in school, I was in class. And so I remember people telling me, you should go get Go talk to a psychologist or something about it. Go talk to your doctor. 
And I knew it in my head too, that there's something, a bunch of ADHD thing going on with me. But it was a long time coming. And I, when I found out, I wasn't too surprised. But I was surprised about what came with it, about all the extra stuff. So that was interesting. You said it was a long time coming. What stood out to you leading up to the diagnosis and then following finding out that you did in fact have ADHD? What were some of the things that stood out as symptoms of how it shows up in your life? The biggest things was I was just very easily, I guess, distracted. I would interrupt people in conversations, which in my case, as a deaf person, um, I always, I think growing up, I always try to grab attention. If you say something that's really interesting, I would, I would have a habit of interrupting. I'm gotten better at that, but that was one of the things that um, stood out. And okay, well, actually, the biggest thing is I forgot things. I forget things a lot, and I was late a lot. Those were the things that were. Uh, like would be like big things that would happen, not just sometimes, but all the time. And you mentioned that there is some crossover with some of those symptoms and then kind of in a sense, some of the coping strategies you've developed as a deaf person to live in a world where, you know, you have to catch people's attention sometimes. How were you able to separate some of those things to kind of decipher what was ADHD and what was you just living a life that wasn't built for you? I will say it's, it was, it's been diff, it was difficult because, you know, you don't know, but I am like profoundly deaf without my hearing aids. Yeah, without my hearing aids, I just, I can live in that world perfectly fine. Um, I don't know if these symptoms will be the way it is if I can live in that world only because language is, uh, ASL is my first language. So it just, it's, it's rather simple that way. But I think growing up with my hearing aid and being the only deaf person in my family, I would like, everything would be lost. So I would just be like very vigilant and like wanting to be heard. Um, so I would probably be the loudest, not knowing that I'm the loudest. You know, I would uh, have to be let it, let it known that I'm. You know, this is what I'm saying and stuff like that. So I guess. It was a long, it, was, it took a while for me to really uh, realize, like, kind of weed them out. And one, uh, me wanting to be heard isn't probably an ADHD thing, but all that information I'm getting is just so much. Now, that's probably definitely uh, it's, it's an ADHD thing. Those were the biggest ones. It's just, I, have, I just have all this information, um, and some of them I'm, I'm deciphering, I'm reading lips all day. It just, I think that's probably the biggest thing is just all that information and then just, it's just so much. It's a little overwhelming. It sounds overwhelming because I know how busy my brain is and I'm walking through life not having to read lips all day and not having to know if I'm going to be able to communicate properly with the people that I'm going to interact with. And then here you are taking in all of that. And I'm wondering, you know, in the diagnostic process, how did being a deaf person affect that for you? Were there any additional barriers that you had to deal with? When you're dealing with the healthcare system, you have this 
added step that you have to go through to make sure that you can communicate properly. Yeah. Sometimes getting interpreters are difficult. Now, for people like who don't use hearing aids, who don't talk, it's, it's rather simple. Like, not simple, but it's easier for them. Hey, you know, I'm, I just want an interpreter, and I, I need an interpreter. For me, it's, it's like, do I need an interpreter? <laughs> maybe I do, because maybe the uh, therapist got a big, long beard, and I can't read his lips. And he, or he has, you know, it's just a lot of that going on. Thankfully, the, the guy that I had, he had like a, a mustache thing going on, uh, not a beard. Like it's a little scruff. So I, I could read the lips, lips fine. And he could, he had an understandable voice, is what I'm saying. So uh, there is barrier than that. And like me, like, do I need an interpreter? Is the interpreter good and all that stuff? And I, I don't think there is a, like, once we're in the room together, I think there is a barrier where the, the, the person may not understand much about deafness and how much my deafness plays into the ADHD or how much it is. It's just deafness. Maybe it's not ADHD. How well in depth are there in the deaf community? So that's, that's probably a barrier there. But, but I think most of all, there's not that much of a barrier that we, that he was able to see that how you do have an issue. You do have um, a problem that can be improved or whatever. What have you done since your diagnosis to work on some of the things that were a struggle for you with having ADHD? That's something I've been working on is really figuring out, like being consistent is being consistent. I would say, like, because COVID, what? COVID happened, what, three years ago? Was it three or four years ago? So March of 2020. 2020, yes. So during three years ago, okay, over three years ago. So like during those two years of like, we weren't really going out much. We were really stuck. So I don't know if I could say I was working on my AD, like working on what, how to improve because I wasn't really, it was really much for me to do much. So like this past, what, year or two is kind of like me like learning like what works and what doesn't work. I'm not a I'm not the biggest fan of therapy counseling. I am not good with feelings. Yesterday I actually went to the doctor to like to get back on my meds because I have, you know, my doctor moved and I had to do all the whole thing about getting a new doctor and uh, I already did all that yesterday and I am getting into therapy. And that's really good. So I'm, that's one of the things that I'm doing now. But the little things is just like, I have a whiteboard. I have an alarm. It just is, I'm fairly new in this process of um, figuring out what works for me and what doesn't. It's been a little difficult. But the biggest thing I know is, con- uh, is consistency, is um, staying with it for a long time. That's been a struggle. I'm wondering how neurodiversity is embraced in the deaf community. And obviously, this is a newer diagnosis for you. I think in the deaf community, it's still kind of looked at as um, like a stereotypical way of 
how AAC had viewed like squirrel that type thing, or you're like you're being a little airhead right now type thing. It, it's there's still there's not a lot enough awareness in the deaf community just yet, and it's starting to be. You know, there's 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 um, conversations. Um, I work at a deaf school, uh, so. I can tell if there's a kid who definitely seems to have this, have ADHD for sure. I can tell that I used to be that kid or the, it, I can just kind of wean them out just by oh, like looking at my own self and, to, and them. So, and I guess it's not as, the deaf community is not well-versed in this just yet. So hopefully, you know, get there. You mentioned a little bit about some of the things that stood out as you were going through the diagnostic process. In your everyday life, what's the biggest struggle for you with managing your ADHD? Communicating my thoughts effectively. I know that's probably because English isn't my first, you know, like my confident language, I would say. ASL is, but because there's so many things in my brain and I, I have trouble putting out or pulling out like just things I want to say or just I guess saying them articulately like something something like that. I think that's one of the biggest things I struggle every day. So if there's like a a problem that arises and I've been confronted, I'm usually like I don't I'm lost in what to say. I I have a lot to say, but I don't I, I'll say just a few things and then just that's what I got. <laughs> so that's, I think that's the biggest struggle. All of this going on and not being able to just organize them, I guess. How have you navigated accessibility barriers in your everyday life, specifically looking at the impact of being both a person who is deaf and someone who has ADHD? Oh, I think in one things like in school, because there's a lot more information about ADHD. They, when I, like for testing and stuff like that, knowing that I am deaf and have ADHD, they kind of are very more um, helpful and accommodating my needs and stuff like that. Whereas maybe long, like a while ago, that would have been a case. But I think it helps me more, but in my everyday life, I'm not sure yet. And how much does technology play a role in you managing everyday life? You know, you mentioned a little bit about the alarms. I have to imagine that using tech all the time probably has an impact on your ADHD because tech isn't foolproof and mistakes happen, things shut down, there are errors. And I know for me, that brings on a lot of frustration and I'm not using them to I'm not using them as a necessity in life. They're an added benefit. Whereas for you, a lot of the stuff I imagine you use is tech connected. Yeah, that is true. And I think sometimes because I use tech heavily, it gets kind of overwhelming because I have so much. I, I think I can't, I can't tell you how many times I went through a bunch of different apps that does the same thing and 
they'll work for a while and then I'm like, you know what? I don't use it much and then I'll use a different app. But they, they do the same thing like a like a like a scheduling app. Uh or what else? Like alarm. I used to use Alarmy at one point. That one's so it's, it's, a, uh, it's, it's a lot, but some of, some of them that are very ne- like a necessity, like alarm, like that, like this a phone that vibrates. Um, uh, my hearing aid has a Bluetooth that's been very helpful. Um, and I I don't know how that would be nice. Now that I think about this, it's just an intrusive thought. But like, would it, it would be cool if my my hearing aid could be attached to an iPad and I could do this without the headphones. But then again, I don't know how that would that would be interesting. Anyway, the tech is a is a, is a plus and minus. Some of them very overwhelming. Some of them are a necessity. Like well, like this. There's a like what they call it a source in VRS, like a VP video phone. Like you will be an interpreter, and I will call you. Well, and call someone like a pizza place. Call the pizza place. You'll be facilitating conversation. Those are, that's a necessity. I need that. So they play a really huge role in struggle. In those moments where they don't work, how do you manage the emotional dysregulation that we know can come from being a person with ADHD where it's supposed to work? I mean, I, I deal with this every day. It's supposed to work. I'm, you know, I'm, I've set it all up or I'm paying for it and it's supposed to work. And then it doesn't work. And I melt down. And so I'm curious how you manage that because you're using these things all the time. Usually I would go down. I would feel, not go down, I'll feel down. I I think I'll overcompensate when something doesn't go right. And usually that would usually mean that I'm missing something. So if I'm overcompensating, I'm, that means I'm just going, I'm just going full throttle and not really slowing down and just recognizing what's going on. Um, that usually happens. There was a time when my hearing aid, I, what happened to it? I lost my hearing aid and I went like maybe three or four months without it. To me, to me, I, I'm okay with silence and all that stuff. But I would say physically my ADHD wasn't like, like I have to go do something, but it all migrated into my head and it was just so much, just, it was just a lot. And I was a lot more quiet. I was more, um, and because I'm deaf and not a lot of people talk to me, that was really difficult. So my ADHD kind of went more, it became quiet, but it just was all in, all in my brain, my head. It's been interesting. I'm wondering how finding out about your ADHD affected the relationships in your life. You're married, you have children. So now you have this added thing to take care of. And on top of that, you also then are navigating life as a deaf person. So you have to adjust your life for these people that are in it. How has that transition been like? To be honest, it's been very hard. I mean, being a father is, uh, uh, they're 17 months old, so like a year old. So this, uh, it's, it's kind of new. So it's, it's just, it's an added pressure on being a father, husband, you know, and being deaf and just navigating these different parts of me. 
this new uh, me been interesting. Um, it's kind of hard because it's, like, it's like I can't be doing the same things, but these same things is in terms of my ADHD feels like it's kind of holding me back. You know, when things are going well, my ADHD kind of plays a good part. Like I'm, I'm on it. You know, I'm, you know, I'm helping the kid. I'm playing with them, doing all these things. I think I'm navigating the good part, good times. Well, the hard times is when I get, I crumble. I don't know. (laughs) What do I do? So that's, Whereas therapy is going to some help pretty soon. <laughs> I love therapy. I will say that. I encourage everyone to do it. I know it's so hard, but it has been such a game changer for me. But it's just so nice to have that person there who is impartial. And all they want is for you to be the best person you can be. And that's my soapbox. I'll, I'll get off of that right now. We'll, we'll come back to the conversation. But I am I'm really really proud of you for one, acknowledging that it's not easy and that you're a little afraid of it, but that you also know that it's hopefully going to help. Mm, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, when my wife found out I had ADHD, one, she wasn't too surprised. She wasn't surprised at all, but she was honest. She really wanted to learn what works for me and what's not. She started to not expecting me to know what's going on, but she'll tell me ahead of time, this is what we're going to do. And like a lot of things changed from there. And that's been really good. Even though that sometimes what she will tell me, let me know, I'll forget. She still shows like this different kind of patience, which is really cool. That's really good. And my parents say, they, I think they knew. They just, they just didn't know for sure. <laughs> So, you know, people started to uh, recognize my ADHD and start to, I guess, communicate with me in a way that helps me. When you look at life right now, with everything you've got going on, where do you see yourself thriving? Well, first of all, when I'm back on my meds, that will be good. And when I'm able to, you know, just be more consistent with just things around in my life, I think that's one of the things I struggle with. It's being consistent. I think one of the things is when I am, I feel that I'm, I am more positive and I know I'm confident that this is what's going to happen. This is, this is how it's going to happen. And then I have a part in communicating. And that's when, that's where I feel like where well, I can see myself thriving in is when things are consistent, where I feel consistent, not just if things are not doing well, as long as I'm being consistent, I'm, I think things will be fine. How has sharing your experience on social media impacted you, both as a person who is deaf and also a person now who has ADHD? I think that's been really good. Uh, just seeing a lot of people commenting that they struggle the same, have the same struggles, deaf and hearing. And um, that's really cool because I used to think that my... I know, I know everyone with ADHD is a little different, but there are bigger, you know, ones that are just, they're, they're very common, I would say. They're the same. I'm going the same thing you are, so I can talk about it with you, too. But that's been really cool, especially with the deaf community, because there's still a little um, new or, it's, it's still a very, what, stereotypical 
a view of it. So sharing it on social media has been fun. And there's a little community and that's been great. Uh, hopefully as I continue, I can impact people's lives more once I'm able to also become more and more aware in my ADHD. And I would love to be the one of the leaders in that because there's not a lot of deaf people out there just talking about their struggles with ADHD and how they're thriving. And I know that I know there are a lot of kids who are deaf out there that no one notices. They just think it's because they're deaf, you know, or and they're just drowning because there there is a language part of it too. So it's that they can see me and they can see wow, that's that's I want I want that, you know. So I think that's something I'm really looking forward and seeing thriving. It's so important to know you're not alone. And I think that is the best thing that comes out of the internet. It's definitely got its faults for sure. But being able to connect with someone on something that can feel so isolating, you know, I think the second I started opening up about my own experience and realizing that what was going on in my head was something other people struggled with. And to know that I would have understood that a lot earlier had other people been talking about it, you know, that level of awareness is just so important. Yeah, I agree. Just people have, I think not not only people with a, well, yeah, with people with ADHD, I feel like they have all these things and they just keep it inside and not really talking about their experiences. And I think it goes a long way when people are able to open up. I'm wondering what's giving you hope right now. What is something that is kind of propelling you forward? To be honest, you know, things like this, because I've listened to your podcast before, other, you know, platforms and people who have the same struggle as I do and seeing how they're succeeding, that gives me hope for sure that, that I can f- succeed too. That's the first thing in my mind. That's the first thing that gives me hope for sure is because sometimes just, you know, when I'm struggling and which I have been is just feel like nothing's gonna Nothing's going to fix what's going on. And I'm not, so I just, just feel like going to give up. Stuff like this, especially this, is something that really does give me hope. Well, we're so appreciative of you sharing your story with us on Refocused. And, and I will tell you, you mentioned, you know, consistency. That is something that is such a struggle for me in life, but is also the biggest key to keeping anything on the tracks. And I love that you see what we're doing and you're like, oh, that's so motivating. But I will tell you behind closed doors, like I have the same ADHD struggles as everyone. And I find so much inspiration from these conversations because I just, I learned so much. And it has been kind of my crash course in learning everything about ADHD is interviewing people like yourself. And then getting to bring that to the bigger community is just kind of like, as cliche as it sounds, like it feels like a life purpose. You know, it feels like what I'm supposed to be doing. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's awesome. You feel the same way about the stuff you're putting on social. I mean, it's incredible. The stuff you put out is is engaging and relatable and you're able to connect with so many people. And that is so important. Thank you. I try. I try. <laughs> I want to wrap up by asking, what is something you wish people knew or understood better about ADHD? One thing I'll get out the way is I, if we see a squirrel, you don't always look at the squirrel. 
Okay. That's obviously get that out of the way. But I one thing is that it's it is not a it's not that we're pretending. It's not something um I don't know what the word is. Um it's not we're not playing games that this ADHD thing is not a it's 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 a real brain issue. It does hinder us for sure. It is not just that we're distracted. We are literally distracted by the things that are in our head and by other things. It's it's easiest easy for us to do that. If more people are aware and know that ADHD is a brain problem, I think um, they would look at us and treat us different, better than, oh, you see a score or whatever. Yeah, the the good old ADHD tropes. It's the squirrel and then the superpower, and I'm in the middle on both of them. Or even the, are you hyper focusing right now? Which is okay, I get it, but it's a it's a cool thing. But it's not not like a like it's a superpower. No, I don't. I don't think hyper focus is my superpower. You know, there's many points about ADHD that's positive, not just because hyper focusing is a bad thing sometimes too, right? And I also love that the idea of hyper-focusing is like people think that our brain is actually only thinking about one thing in that moment, which is just never true. Yes. <laughs> Last thing I want to know, what advice would you give to someone who is deaf and is now newly diagnosed with ADHD? Listen to the people that are, who love you and they see, hey, you might want to get checked out. Definitely take that in consideration. Definitely do your research. And be open about what's going on. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing is just be open. If people say that you might have ADHD, it's not because there's nothing wrong with you. It's a, it's a good thing. So I think just be open and go after it. And I think you'll find something worthwhile. That was a perfect way to wrap it up. Julian, this was such a pleasure. Thank you so much for being here and for the work and energy you're putting into the ADHD community as well as the deaf community. And we're just, we're so grateful to you and we can't wait to see what's next. And again, just this was really, really enlightening. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me here and talking to me. And uh, thank you for what you do, especially. Like, I think your video and what you do really help and enlightens us and we learn a lot about ourselves. I learned so much during my time chatting with Julian. It opened my eyes to some of the added complexities Julian has to deal with as both a deaf person and a person with ADHD. One of the biggest things that stood out for me was when Julian talked about lip reading. It takes a lot of energy for him. He mentioned how challenging it can be having to read lips all day long and how busy his brain gets. And then there's the worry about whether or not he's able to communicate properly with a person that's a necessity in his life. Lip reading is a technique that involves carefully watching the lip patterns and movement of the tongue and face of the person speaking to understand what they're saying. For people who are deaf or hard of hearing, Lip reading is an important communication tool that they rely on. 
though it's estimated that only 30 to 40 percent of speech sounds can be lip-read. And these estimates are for conversations in the best conditions. Add in variables outside of his control, like if his doctor has a beard, and it can become an even more taxing part of Julian's day. Just being mindful of the different ways people communicate can help you be a more effective communicator. Here are a few tips for communicating more effectively with someone, like Julian, who reads lips. First, always provide context for what you're saying. This can help the person understand the topic and follow along more easily. Second, position yourself so the person can clearly see your face. Avoid standing with your back to bright light, as this can make it difficult to see your facial expressions. Finally, try to keep your gestures and facial expressions natural and avoid moving around too much. This can make it easier for the person to follow your lips. Remember, small adjustments can make a big difference in making communication more accessible for everyone. I, and maybe many listeners, could totally relate when Julian talked about his reservations about therapy, but still being open to it and seeing its potential for help. It's hard to open up to a therapist or a counselor, even more so if you've had a not-so-great experience and are trying to find one that's a good match to help you with all things ADHD. Learning that ADHD is the root of our struggles can bring so much relief. Some of these struggles can really ding a person's self-esteem, making it harder for them to take the steps needed to care for themselves. That extends to relationships, work, and many other places, but the chipping away at ourselves often makes us risk-averse and limited in our forward movement because we feel like we don't deserve to find relief. According to the experts at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, when a person has healthy self-esteem, they feel good about themselves and see themselves as deserving of respect and care. When a person has low self-esteem, they put very little value on their opinions and ideas, so much so that they worry they aren't good enough for respect and care. An ADHD diagnosis is the beginning of the process of building back self-esteem. When we get the why, then we can figure out the how. That means we can better learn to understand our emotions so we can talk about them. And over time, difficulties and challenges can feel less daunting. I'm so grateful to Julian for sharing his story here with us on Refocus Together. To connect with him on social, you can find all of the links in our show notes. We've also shared links to more resources on communicating through lip reading, as well as some articles that dive further into the connection between self-esteem and ADHD. I can't believe we are almost at the halfway point. If you've been loving the stories we've shared with you so far, we'd love to hear from you. You can connect with the show through Instagram at RefocusPod or shoot us an email, hello at RefocusPod.com. And of course, if you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to Refocused wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss any of the stories we're sharing with you this month. Support for Refocus comes from our partner, ADHD Online, a telemedicine mental health care company that provides affordable and accessible ADHD assessments and treatment plans. 
To learn how they can help you on your journey, head to ADHDonline.com. And remember to use the promo code REFOCUS20 to receive $20 off your ADHD online assessment right now. The biggest thanks go out to our team at ADHD Online, Keith Boswell, Suzanne Spruitt, Melanie Mile, Claudia Gotti, and Trisha Merchandunny for their constant support in helping make Refocus Together happen. These 31 episodes were produced thanks to our managing editor, Sarah Platinitis, our production coordinator, Phil Rodeman, social media specialist and editor, Al Chaplin, and me, the host and executive producer of Refocused, Lindsay Gensel. To connect with the show on social media, you can find us online at RefocusPod. And you can email the show directly, hello at RefocusPod.com. That's hello at RefocusPod.com.